You're listening to the Brick by Brick podcast, where we take you from the ground up on real estate investing. Join us on our entrepreneurial voyage through the world of flipping houses, managing rental property, and building a real estate empire. Welcome back to the Brick by Brick podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I am John Arico here as always with Ryan Goldfarb. Today we are doing another episode about short-term rentals uh, in Atlantic City tangentially because that's where many of our short-term rentals are. Uh, We've been doing a couple episodes about our activities in Atlantic City and then specifically short-term rentals, some of the details about how we operate short-term rentals. So if you're curious in that topic, I recommend going and listening to a couple of our previous episodes. But this episode, we are talking about some of our biggest mistakes that we've made with short-term rentals, some of the issues that we have with short-term rentals, how we've responded to them, all as a means of informing you guys, if you're interested in that type of investing, how to avoid some of the mistakes that we have made. And we certainly have made a number of mistakes. Uh, <laughs> and we continue to <laughs> we continue to do so. So it's a, a learning process and iterative process. I think just to start out, just to kind of clear the field about short term rentals in general, operating a short term rental is, I would say much more akin to operating a boutique hotel than it is to operating a normal apartment. Um, it really is almost a boutique hotel that maybe has one unit, you know, the unit being your entire house. So the operational and management concerns that would go into operating a short-term rental are in many cases very different than what would go into operating a normal rental while also having some of the same issues like utilities, roofs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't normally get those types of complaints, or at least we're probably more aware of them if those are about to happen. Yeah, I think more than any episode we've done so far, this will probably highlight the reason why the upside of short-term rentals comes with a fair amount of work and a fair amount of headache. And why, as John said, it is more akin to running a business that's layered on top of a real estate investment as opposed to just pursuing a a unique real estate investing strategy. Yeah. Why don't we start, I I guess, with, with the complaints, because that's probably the most relatable, the biggest issues that we have. What would you say is like the number one issue that we get? Maybe just set some context about the types of Airbnbs that we operate and what we're talking about. So if you listen to this podcast, you may know that I used to operate short-term rentals in North Jersey on a sort of room-by-room basis. I stopped doing that a few years ago when it became more legally questionable to do that. Ryan and I collectively operate short-term rentals in North Jersey, some of which are kind of medium-term furnished, like people staying for months at a time. Most specifically, I think we're going to be talking about the short-term rentals that we do in Atlantic City, which are, when you think of Airbnb, probably the kind of vanilla short-term rentals that you'd think about, like true nightly stays, people that are staying for two, three nights, using it as they would a hotel uh, for their visit. So like a vacation rental in the truest sense. Although some of these things that we're talking about are applicable to all Airbnbs, but uh, we right now we operate about a dozen different listings. Some of them are in the same property. Some of them are single family homes. And um, John's selling us short. I think it's like 16 listings. Oh, yeah. About like to I, be 18. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think for some added context, it's worth mentioning that some of these are apartments within a small multifamily. Others are attached single family homes. Others are detached single family homes. So each of those can kind of contribute to the type, the types of complaints that you might get. Um, For example, noise is going to be more of a concern when you're in an apartment building as opposed to 
in a detached single family home where you're separated from your neighbors by 30 or 50 feet on either side. Yeah. I think collectively between the two of us, I did the math at some point for just myself in Union City, but we're talking about thousands upon thousands of nights that we've hosted on Airbnb. I don't think we're at the 10,000 collectively level yet, but I think I alone, if you include the Union City stuff and then the, the multiple thousand. So it, it's, we have a lot of experience, just the way to say it, of, of operating these properties. And many, many guests, because I think in, particularly in Atlantic City, a lot, of our, a lot of our reservations will house between eight and 18 people at a time. Yep, yep. So yeah, right. A lot of what, people, a lot of complaints. <laughs> yeah, we've seen it, it, it's to the point where if we get a new complaint that we haven't heard from, like a, a new type of complaint that we haven't heard before, we're like, that that's on you because we we've heard we've heard all the others. But yeah, Ryan, what would you say is the number one you know issue that comes up with these rentals? I think uh, I'm, this is going to be number one for me because I, I think that it's probably the most common that people get in the short term rental space. Although I don't think it's necessarily our number one complaint, but I think cleanliness is probably the most common one that people see. Yeah. I think there's, there's no, I think that's a clear number one. And, and I think for us that there's, there's like two subsets to that. There's cleanliness regarding like post-construction debris and like the state of both like the site, like the land itself surrounding the property and the inside of the building itself, because, you know, construction can be very dirty and contractors and subcontractors more often than not do not clean up after themselves. So at the end of a project, there generally is a lot of dust and debris laying around that we do our best to get cleaned up, but there's almost always remnants of that that seep their way into the house and stay there for longer than we would like. And then there's also just the the type of cleanliness that you would expect in in any short-term accommodations, whether it's a hotel or an apartment or a house. That's things like, are the floors clean? Is the mirror cleaned? Are the windows cleaned? Is the sink clean? Um, and maybe most important of all, are the linens clean and crisp and yeah. smell nice and free of stains? And So I think an important point about cleanliness that has occurred to me over the years is that what someone's definition of clean is, is not universal. So what I might find dirty or clean is not what someone else might find dirty or clean. And I like an, an example that comes up, um, well, that hasn't come up with those recently is, you know, a lot of our properties have hardwood floors or, you know, not carpet floors. And so it's not uncommon in those cases for dust to accumulate under a bed. And in a hotel room, you might have the sort of platform beds that you can't even get under because of exactly what I'm about to talk about. But in our places, we have normal beds. So dust will accumulate under there. And sometimes guests will say, oh, underneath the bed is dusty. Now for me, that, I mean, I'm not going to be looking underneath my bed. I don't have like a dust allergy. It doesn't really impact my life at all. I don't think I've ever looked underneath any beds that in any place I've been staying except if I lost something. But, um, and obviously in hotel rooms, you know, who knows what's underneath your bed. But that's the type of complaint that we'll get. And so as a result, the standard of cleaning in any place that you rent out has to be very high because you're sort of reaching the standard that the most particular or peculiar guests would have. Even if you look at it and you think that it's clean, it might not be clean. Like another example that happens <laughs> a lot is, um, in fact, I was just down at one of our properties in Atlantic City and noticed this and, and said something about it to somebody, which is that uh, above a refrigerator. So a refrigerator is an, a place that gets 
dust and dirty and I'm six feet five. So I can see above a lot of refrigerators, but most people can't. So if it's dusty up there, you're not really going to realize it unless you reach your hand up there. But for me, I go into a, a kitchen, I can see the dust on top of it. And I think, oh, well, it's pretty easy to fix just dust on top of it. But again, like in your own house, are you dusting on top of your refrigerator every time you clean your kitchen? Like, I don't know. I don't do that. Like, are you vacuuming underneath your bed frame every time you clean your bedroom? Like, I don't do that. So um, it's a different standard, uh, at least as a, you know, just to start the conversation than it would be at, at your own house. Yeah, I don't want I don't want the conversation to turn into a 45-minute discussion about cleaning and cleaning practices for short-term rentals, although maybe one day we will do an episode on that topic because it's probably warranted. But I, I think the last thing I'd like to highlight about the topic of cleanliness is that there is like actual cleanliness and then there's things that create the illusion or the perception of cleanliness. And I think that arguably, for better or for worse, the latter is more important because that's what people are generally making their basis or making their judgment on. And I think a big thing that comes to mind with that is having stains on your linens. We go use white linens and white towels just about everywhere. And the main reason for that is because it's very easy for people to identify that something is fresh and crisp and clean. And, and also you, have, you can bleach them. Right. Yeah. Also, you can bleach them. But because of that, when there's a blood stain or someone used it, to, you like wipe their makeup on there. It is very obvious. It, it can be washed. It can be disinfected. It could be like as clean and safe and harmless as can be. But if there's a mark on there that's a different color than white, then it creates the illusion of something not being clean. And guests are very, very, very sensitive to that. That's a great point. Yeah, I think. A lot of getting good bookings and having good reviews and good feedback is in the the perception of it. So like a, a, a big thing that we strive for, which is related to cleaning, when we have pictures taken of our listings is that everything looks not only very clean, but almost kind of like minimalist. It's not like you would have your own house where you have a bunch of stuff all over the place and you have stuff on your dresser and this and that. Like in an Airbnb for pictures, essentially you want the furniture, you want the beds to be white sheets, crisp, couple of things on the wall, whatever. And that's it. That's what really sells. People aren't looking to stay at a house that has a bunch of your stuff all over the place because it doesn't really scream cleanliness, right? If you have a bunch of knickknacks, I mean, sometimes knickknacks can help, but if you have a ton of stuff piled up, books and other things in your bedroom or whatever, that doesn't, to me, scream like, oh, it looks like a really clean place. It looks like kind of a cluttered place. So like less stuff almost, more clean, white, open, that's the look that we're trying to go for. Moving on from the topic of cleanliness, I don't think we anticipated doing this as a, a rankings episode, but if we were to say that we're ranking our, our most common complaints or the most significant complaints we receive, cleaning's number one, what would you say your number two is? I'm curious if it's the same one as I would say. Uh, I was going to say bugs. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. That's so, what I was thinking too. Yeah. Bugs and pests, I would say. Yeah, I would say that, that that's a pretty clear number two in my mind. I mean, it's related to cleanliness. So we live in in the Northeast, all of our properties are in the Northeast. And one issue that we encounter all the time, just because houses are right next to each other. And I think that New York City has a reputation for this is our mice. That is one of the worst issues that we have to deal with anywhere. To be clear, these aren't like human sized rats that you see in yeah. the streets of New York. These are like smaller, like field mice. Yeah, rats um, will fight you. Yeah, yeah you don't want to have rats. Um, <laughs> saw a video the other day of a rat and a cat at a bodega fighting on the streets of New York yeah. City. It's oh yeah, that's cool. real. Yeah. At COVID, COVID times that rats are, yeah. But uh, so yeah, so we, it, it house mice, I guess. So, you know, they're usually white. They're maybe two inches long. 
people that live in the Northeast, I mean, I think every single house and apartment that I've lived in has had mice, including my current house at one time or another. They're a problem to be uh, managed, not eradicated. Um, You're never going to eradicate the mouse population of the Northeast. So, you know, in our properties, I would say all of our properties at various times, we've had issues with mice. Some of them are due to things that we can't control, like a neighbor and an attached building being very unclean. Many of them are due to things that we can control. So there being openings in floors and walls, us not having appropriate pest control, et cetera, et cetera. But it's probably one of the more stressful issues to deal with. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say, it, it, the reason that it's the most stressful one to me is because it's, I think, the one it's the one issue that a guest can complain about that you can't really offer a solution to. You can show that you care and that you are trying to address it, but it's really, as John said, it's, it's not something to easily eradicate. So even if you send a pest control guy out within hours, they still may end up seeing mice for the next day, the next few days. And if they're only there for two or three days, that is going to have a negative impact on their stay. Yeah. It's, I think people sometimes that aren't familiar with, like if you live somewhere where you don't have mice that are endemic or you have a house that's separated by, you know, hundred feet from the other house, if someone sees a mouse and they say, I'll call the exterminator. I think they assume the exterminator is going to go and like catch the mouse with their hands or something like that, you know, or whatever. And that's just not realistic. The best that, like Ryan said, the best you can do is lay traps and poison and stop up some openings. But if the mouse is in your kitchen, he or she is going to be there until they die, um, you know, or I guess until they leave. But realistically, it's going to be some time. And I've dealt with that in every, that's been in every single property we've had an issue. It's important enough to me and to us that I am, or we are trying to prioritize this during the construction process to say like, while the walls are still open, like let's, let's do as much as we can to sort of like pest proof the house and like initiate some like pest control behind the walls, seal up any openings that we find. And then once we do start closing things up, it's like especially important to make sure that all the sheetrock is flush with like every uh, every bit of subfloor or to make sure that like around pipes in particular, there aren't large openings that a mouse can squeeze through because, you know, they can really, I think one of the pest control guys we were talking to was saying they can fit through something as small as like the thickness of a pencil, which is pretty outrageous. Yeah. But like I mean, gap, if you think gaps about under it, doors. Yeah. 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 So it's something we definitely take seriously. And unfortunately, it's something that doesn't have obvious solutions for. I, yeah. I, I would say, like, of all of the management related things that I've been involved in, this is one of the things that I've gained the most skill in is trying to figure out like where mice are coming from and like stop up hole. I mean, literally, like, I've spent so much. I, there was a time, there was a period of time where I would drive around at all times with steel wool in my car, which is steel wool is probably the number one way, quickly way to stop up holes where my, you know, relatively small holes where mice are coming through. So there'd be a time where I just have bags of steel wool in my house and I'd just be like, oh, yep, yeah, like it just you know, throw them in a hole or something like that. I, I actually think I'm pretty good because if you remember we had this, this property in Atlantic City, several ones actually where we had a mice probably called to the exterminator and the exterminator just kind of, you know, shrugged or whatever. And then not to two way own horn, but I went in and put in the steel wool and we have another problem. So. John did solve our, I, I think to this <laughs> point, he has effectively solved our mouse problem at, at Magellan. Yeah. That was yeah. a huge win. And at, uh, at Murray. That's, that was oh, the yeah. one I was oh. thinking. Yeah, that was yeah. One, I think yeah. you did it at both. Well, thank you. I mean, it's just... You know. All right. Well, it's another side business. You can, I missed, I missed you can the careers as yeah. an exterminator. 
That's the worst. And it, it's it's not an issue that's unique to short-term rentals because long-term rentals, you'll have that too. But with a long-term rental, I think you can at least say to the tenant, like, don't leave your food on the floor. Don't leave right. your food on a countertop. With a, with a guest, it's a little bit more like, well, they're there for three days. I mean, what are you going to yell at them for leaving a loaf of bread on their countertop? Like, I don't know. Right. So. Yeah. I, I want to pivot away from pests for or in a minute, but before I do, we spent a lot of time talking about mice, but bugs, insects are also a huge pain. That's particularly been an issue soon after we've finished up construction projects because while we've been doing construction, people have a tendency to have a tendency to leave doors and windows open and it drives us crazy. And no matter how many times we ask it, it never changes. So what ultimately ends up happening is that a lot of flies, mosquitoes, whatever, will colonize in our apartments or our houses uh, until we get the situation under control and have construction functionally done. We've also had some... We've also had some encounters with raccoons. With, oh. We had a squirrel in the attic recently. Yep. Raccoons are bad. Yeah. Raccoons are bad. Raccoons yeah. will mess stuff up. Yeah, they're they're aggressive. Yeah. Raccoons and rats. Those are the R's. You don't want those. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and an issue with that we've had, we haven't had a lot of issues with roaches, um, but that's another issue that's endemic to the, I mean, it, it's one of those things where if you're living in an apartment or a building that's attached to another and they have a problem, you have a problem. But one of the issues with roaches is that when you exterminate, when you lay treatment for roaches, a lot of times the treatment will be designed to get more roaches out of the corners of your house. And so you'll send exterminate over and then the next day there'll be more activity because the roaches are coming out. And again, as Ryan mentioned before, like the stays are three days long. So if somebody says they have a roach issue on Thursday, the exterminate comes out on Friday, on Saturday, they see a ton of roaches. And on Sunday, you know, maybe it's going down a little bit, but you know, you've, you've really, you haven't helped their experience. You've made their experience worse by treating it. That's tough. Uh, anyway, enough, enough talk about disgusting critters. Do you have a number three for, for your most? Uh, I'm curious to see what yours. I, I have a number of candidates, but I wonder what yours would be. I don't know if it's the most common complaint, but I think another one that stresses me out similarly to the roach or the pest issue is noise complaints. Yeah, I was going to say noise. Yeah. yeah. So I think that that can take different forms and it has taken different forms for us. I would say it's been the mo like most pronounced in multifamily buildings where we have more than one unit and guests are either like on top of each other, usually sometimes side by side. But even especially when you don't have carpeting, which we tend to avoid in most of our renovations, hard floors, whether they're vinyl or hardwood or tile, tend to carry noise pretty substantial, like pretty significantly. Even like the noise complaints don't necessarily stem from parties, which I think is what most people think of when they think we of noise that, complaints. But, but more rarely, yeah, than even, it, assume, it can yeah. even yeah, it can even be just people walking around, or sometimes it's kids playing upstairs, and like just movement can travel. And then we had uh, an incident recently where there were, or we, so we have in Atlantic City, we have a few listings that are particularly attractive because of their proximity to the Orange Loop. And one of the draws to the Orange Loop is some of these outdoor venues that, ha that will have, or that will host small shows and sometimes little festivals. And obviously that comes with noise. So I think that that was, was probably not accurately conveyed and we got, we got a little unlucky with some scheduling where there was like a Wednesday night show at one of these places while these guests yeah, were like trying to... Yeah, EDM yeah. <laughs> uh, DJ festival or something right. like that, yeah. So that's that's kind of a tough one because that's similar to the to the pest problem. There's not an immediate solution to that. I mean, maybe we can start providing earplugs, but uh, that's only going to do so much. Yeah, I think similar to the cleanliness one, people have different tolerances for noise. I think coming to Atlantic City and staying in a beach block, Airbnb... 
I would assume that your expectation for noise is going to be different than staying, you know, well off the boardwalk or the beach, because frankly, at a lot of these places, you're staying in, in the literal shadow of a casino hotel. And those places obviously have their own sound issues. I mean, I, I remember staying uh, when I was in Atlantic City, staying overnight, I could hear music from like a, like a day, like a pool party blocks away. Uh, it was so loud. So, you know, again, it's uh, uh, what you might consider appropriate, like there being music at 4 PM during the day from a party somewhere is different than there being music at 4 AM from a party, different than there being music at 9 PM, different than whatever. I would say the biggest issues that we've had noise related, or at least the ones that I find most frustrating are in properties where we have one or two units that are short-term rental and the rest are not short-term rental on both sides. So people that are long-term tenants will complain about the short-term tenants. People that are short-term tenants will complain about the long-term tenants for noise. And that's very stressful because there's that interplay. And so as a result, what we have been trying to do increasingly, I think, where we can is to convert entire buildings to short-term rentals. So having like one unit amongst three other units that are not one unit short-term rental amongst three long-term rentals is really, really tough. We're really actively pivoting away from that right now. Yeah. And in these multifamily dwellings, I think we're trying to focus on controlling what we can control and doing things that are going to minimize the transmission of noise between units, whether that's side-by-side units or up and down. So it could be things like laying rugs underneath or on top of hardwood floors, or it could be putting down some soundproofing material between the subfloor and the, the floor below. Anything really, really helps. And when you're doing a renovation anyway, the, the marginal cost of doing things like that is not astronomically high. I've seen other people who will go as far as to like install all new windows with like triple pane glass for like supreme soundproofing. But I think that's probably a little bit yeah, over th- the top for what we're used to doing. I think the problem with noise is that if you have one area, area of noise weakness, if right. you will, then you're done. So right. you can install the most expensive windows. But if it turns out that, you know, whatever, you don't have insulation between right. the, in the ceiling of your place, it, your, the windows aren't going to do anything. Right. So, yeah, we haven't had a ton of complaints like that recently, although you mentioned one with that music festival. But that's something that, it's one of the worst things where it's like you'll get a call or a message at like 11.30 p.m. at night and they're complaining about someone else having a party or something. It's, it's really tough. Yeah, we do, have, we do have those noise sensors that we don't have in every unit but are working on putting everywhere, which I think at least the presence of is maybe a little bit of a deterrent from like true party situations. Yeah. And the fact that we disclose that in the listings maybe scares away some bad actors. But no, at, the end of the day, yeah. Yeah, at the end of the day, noise is always going to be a, yeah. going to be a, a part of... Unless you're unless you're in, you know, a five acre parcel where you're nowhere near your neighbor, it's always going to be. Yeah, it's both ways. It, it's not only noise that disturbs the guests, but also our guests making noise right. um, for other people, like neighbors and stuff. We haven't really recently had complaints from neighbors, but that would be a stressor too. Is right. if a neighbor is complaining about what you're doing, then that that sucks because we, you know, as, as previous episodes indicate, we we really like to be good, responsible members of of our neighborhoods and make our neighborhoods better. And so if our guests are making the neighborhood actively worse by their activities, that's the opposite of what we want. I have a thought. I don't know if you have other... uh, I'm happy to pivot away from the noise topic. Yeah, no, no. I mean... It's just stressing me out thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) My number four, we are number four. Yeah, I would say my number four would probably be... I guess I would broadly classify this as things that we can't control, but specifically I would say um, neighborhood issues like neighborhood 
it could be a neighborhood perception issue or it could be an actual issue. And we deal with this a, a fair amount because we're renting these places in Atlantic City. And most people listening to this probably know that Atlantic City is far from the most luxurious, cleanest, safest venue area that you could rent on the Jersey Shore. Not to say that it's bad by any means, but certainly some parts of Atlantic City are better than others. And we have properties all over Atlantic City, some in nice areas, some in less nice areas. And it's not uncommon for guests to comment on the neighborhood and sort of, I would say, oftentimes those comments are said in an accusatory way, as though they've been misled by our listing, even though, frankly, we not only can you see more or less where we are in Atlantic City, we often provide exterior pictures, overhead, kind of drone footage of where we are so you can see how other houses in the neighborhood look. I would say oftentimes the biggest problem comes with our higher end listings because people assume that it's a really, really nice house, nice looking house, nice interior, and also expensive. It must be in a really luxurious area. And although I would say that our higher end places are generally in nicer areas than our more affordable places, Again, it's a perception thing, right? Some some guests, I would say, I'm thinking of one property in particular um, on Murray Avenue that we have where I would say that that's a, a very fine neighborhood in Atlantic City. Yeah, I mean, we um, have personally spent, many, like stayed there several nights right. and I've never felt even a little bit unsafe in that no, area. No, not even, not even, uh, not I, even remotely. I actually yeah. like the area. Yeah, <laughs> like, I think it's a nice it's area. It's a waterfront location. It's like, it's yeah. peaceful. I would say most people in Atlantic City would say this is one of the nicer areas of Atlantic, you know, the top, three neighborhoods, this is probably in that list. And there are other areas of Atlantic City, frankly, I would not hang out at night. I would not feel comfortable walking around by myself at midnight. But we've gotten complaints at this area because there happened to be abandoned homes nearby. You drive a couple blocks, there's a I think like a f- affordable housing project. The house directly next to us is a little bit run down. So it's, you know, it, it, and I think that those, these issues are some of the most frustrating to deal with because there's truly nothing that we can do to address it. I mean, there's not only is there nothing that we can do to obviously change the neighborhood, but we even disclosing that information, something that that I always think about is fair housing issues and all of that. And, you know, I think the applicability of the Fair Housing Act to what we're doing is maybe a little bit unclear, but I would say it does apply to what we're doing. Certainly Airbnb would make that argument about discriminating, you know, against whatever part of the Fair Housing Act is you can't say, oh, hey, by the way, this neighborhood is not that safe, or this this is the demographic of the people living in the neighborhood. Um, any real estate agent will tell you that you, you can't, you know, if someone says, how's the neighborhood? You know, you can't really answer that question, except by saying, you know, look it up yourself. So when people accuse us of kind of misleading them about the neighborhood, it's like, well, what do you want me to do? I mean, I, you know, and, and to be frank, sometimes I think it's it's a veiled way of people saying, hey, this neighborhood is full of people that don't look like me and I don't like that. And that's a tough thing to respond to without calling them out for it. But, you know, it's like, well, yeah, because they don't look like you doesn't mean that it's a bad neighborhood or it's unsafe, right? So I think one one overarching theme on the topic of complaints that we received, I think like a big contributing factor to all of these things is expectations. And I was, I've been saying this a lot the past few days, but I think that a big contributor to what like what kind of feedback we get from guests is the expectations that they have. And oftentimes that is influenced heavily by the rating of these properties. So if they, if they see a property like this one that is advertised and looks the part of something that is a luxury high-end waterfront property and it has great reviews, they're going to expect it to be absolutely 100% perfect. And 
if the reality of what they come to find when they go to check in doesn't fit what their expectation was, what they had sort of like built up in their mind is like the home where they were going to spend their dream vacation. Sometimes they, they react negatively and sort of host, hostily, hostily. Sure. Is that a word? In a hostile manner. Hostile. Hostile manner. Yeah. Interesting. I've never thought aggressively. About <laughs> aggressively. Sometimes they, they, they react. Synonyms for this. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they react aggressively and, as John said, kind of like in an accusatory way, as if they, as if it was our intention to mislead them, and that's that's really frustrating because that's truly the furthest thing that we've been seeking to do. I think if there was a way for us to disclose these things in a way that wasn't in contravention of like fair housing law, I think we would happily do so because the last thing we want to deal with are these types of issues. But it's a little bit of a slippery slope, and we just kind of hope that people will go into these things with an open mind and, you know, not not really like create an issue until there's a reason to create an issue. Yeah, I mean, I, I would think that I'm just thinking about all of the collective short-term rental stuff that we've done. I can't really think of an incident, like an actual crime, that anyone staying at any of our places you know, suffered while staying at our place. I, right. I can recall some stories of people kind of being harassed a few times in a really dicey area in New Haven where we used to operate a short-term rental and that was definitely problematic. I do know of people being pickpocketed and stuff like that in New York City, frankly, um, which is far from our places. But, you know, if if bad things happen to people while they're staying at our places, I've never heard about that. We've never had any sort of like home invasion property crime, no one's car has ever gotten stolen, anything like that. And I'm sure we can think of plenty of instances that have arisen from people who are staying at hotels and casinos in Atlantic City. Yeah. Certainly no shortage of that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where if someone complains about it, all you can really do is throw your hands up and say, it is what it is, because there's not something we could control. And frankly, it's not something that we could really even tell you about. And I'm not sure how you'd like us to tell you about it if you, you know, if you wanted to learn about it. And, you know, if you're running Atlantic City, it's kind of like, do your own diligence. You know, is Atlantic City the place that you feel is appropriate for you? Maybe not. Maybe New York's not the place that you feel appropriate. You're dangerous areas of New York in any city. So it, it is what it is. So we have our, our top four. I think the, the rest that at least I, I, I have on top of my mind that Ryan probably has similar ones as well. We can just kind of more summarize without going into extreme depth. Yeah, we can just take turns and just rattle them off. One that I have is is parking. Um, yeah, I was and again, I think about is, to say. That. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is this is a little bit of a frustrating one because many of our properties located in downtown locations do have parking, and that's in part because we've we've sought that out as a priority for the properties that we buy because we know how valuable and how helpful it is to have that when you're in an area where parking is scarce. So we'll oftentimes advertise listings with an included parking spot or with some sort of solution to their parking woes. And yet, despite that, people will still, I, I, it probably is based on where they come from and they're just not used to having to deal with parking in, a, in an urban environment. But people will be very frustrated by like only having access to one parking spot or in one instance by having to park um, not immediately park in a lot that's not immediately adjacent to where the building is located. And it's frustrating because it's, you know, I mean, one option is if you stay at a hotel or at, at a casino, you might be paying $35 a night for them to validate your parking. Um, and we offer, offer this as like a free courtesy, but 
nonetheless, it's something that plenty of people have found as an opportunity to complain. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I would say falls into a more general category, but specifically something that that I find frustrating all the time are internet issues, internet related issues. So that ranges from like user error, like people not knowing how to connect to Wi-Fi to like people accidentally unplugging routers or whatever else. Um, this comes up, you know, not infrequently, but it's uh, it's one of those things where what the general category that I, I would classify this under are normal maintenance issues, but are just more acute because it's a short-term rental. So like an internet issue, say you have, you're, you're providing internet for whatever reason as a landlord to a building, the internet's not working. Okay. Well, that's not like a boots on, you know, a, a absolute massive emergency that needs to be addressed immediately because, you know, whatever, it's not that uncommon for the internet to not be working for a little bit. But in a short term rental, people are only there for three days, the internet doesn't work half their stay, that's a huge issue. You could apply that same issue to the air conditioner not working, the refrigerator not working, the stove not working. In a normal rental, if you're providing these things, yeah, maybe these are bigger issues. It sucks to not have a stove or refrigerator or air conditioning, but it's not something that needs to be fixed the moment that you hear about it. It could be a day or two days, three days, and that's just the nature of things. But in a short-term rental, you don't have that luxury. I have another one that falls along a similar line, and that's utility outages. We've had a few instances where like the gas or the electric have gone out, sometimes during a storm, sometimes because of a water main break, things like that. And obviously, that's completely outside of our control. But if, again, someone's only there for a few days and they don't have electricity and it's in the middle of the summer or they don't have water and can't make dinner or take a shower, that's obviously going to have a ne negative impact on their stay. Yeah, I would say to that specifically heating and cooling related issues are the worst. So if your boiler stops working, I mean, this is an emergency even for a long-term rental, but if your your heating system stops working in the dead of winter, that's a big deal. If your air conditioning stops working in the dead of summer, that's a big deal. We don't actually have a stockpile of these right now, but we used to have a bigger stockpile of electric space heaters that were kind of ready to go to moment's notice. And we've had a lot of like wall mounted, window mounted air conditioners that are like we can plug in at a moment's notice. So those are always things like even today, we're dealing with kind of an issue related to that uh, air conditioning wise. It's, it's really hot today in New Jersey. So it's just something, yeah, that like really stresses me out. Uh, like if the air conditioning is not working, Again, if it's like takes two or three days to fix, which is not unreasonable, that could be someone's entire stay. And that's a big problem. One other one that came, came to mind is trash. This is like just like a, I think a perpetual issue that, that short-term rentals face because you have so much turnover and you have people who are there, oftentimes a lot of people in one space, a lot of people bringing in a lot of food or buying just enough food for two or three days. They just go through a lot of trash and at least in Atlantic City, they only do pickups once a week. So it's quite often, like quite often it will be left like on the side of the house or wherever the trash receptacles stay. And when it builds up, it can, it can get smelly. It can be, it can be a draw to pests. It can get very buggy and like as much as anything, it's just unsightly. So we've had some issues with that. And frankly, there's not a whole lot we can do unless we unless we take on some kind of like commercial trash collection contract. I think our solution is just to have a lot of garbage cans. Right, Yeah. right. Yeah, the best thing you can do is kind of keep it tidy. 
One that comes to mind for me, it's not really an issue that I would say guests complain about, but it's, it's on the realm of expectations of guests, which is your provisioning of information to them about like the surrounding area, not in terms of danger, but like things to do, where to go shopping, where to find this, where to do whatever. You know, it's not uncommon for a guest to ask us detailed questions like, where's the best place to get X or where can I do Y or where can I go shopping? Where can I get food? Where can I do this? Where can I do that? And, you know, in general, we have answers to a lot of those questions, but I think that the expectations of guests vary a lot. You know, maybe at a five-star hotel, it wouldn't be uncommon for you to go to the concierge and say, where can I do X, Y, Z? But, you know, at a Motel six, you're not going to go to the guy checking you in and say like, Hey, where's the best place to enjoy, you know, a fine steak tonight. Um, he's not going to answer that question or, you know, it would not be the expectation that he would know the answer to that question. So our solution to that has been coming up with guidebooks, pre-written answers to some of these questions, things of that realm, but it varies widely. Sometimes guests will literally, the only communication we'll have them the whole time will be hello in a message or whatever. And other times guests will write essays about why they're coming, um, what they want to do there, how you can help them, questions, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think we used to get a lot of questions like that about transportation in North Jersey when we were doing short-term stays up there. People would have questions about like how to get to the train, how to get to New York right. City, how to get to Penn Station, whatever it was. But I think that that's, we don't get those types of questions in Atlantic City because I think getting around is a little more self-explanatory. Yeah, you have to have a car. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, uh, Or the can, jitney. Yeah. Or, I mean, you have to... You, you, or Uber. Yeah. A car needs to be used, whether you're driving it or someone else's. Yeah. Another one, I don't know if this is necessarily a complaint, but I would say maybe the most common question we get is about early check-in or late checkout. And that's a f challenging one because it's often the case that the only way to have a definitive answer on whether or not it's possible is to wait until the absolute last minute, which is obviously, it obviously presents a challenge for the guest to plan around. But the reality is in the summer, we very often have back-to-back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back -to -back bookings and have a very short window to get units ready. So it's usually a no-go in the in the peak season, but periodically, or when we can in the off-season, we, we try to accommodate as best we can. But sometimes that can create some ancillary challenges of its own because it, it has to be relayed to multiple parties so that, you know, the cleaners have the right expectation about when they can get there and when they can start preparing a unit. So it's, it often, it creates some issues, but having used Airbnb many times myself and having similar experiences at hotels, I know how, how helpful it can be to be able to get in a little earlier, stay a little late. Yeah. The last issue that I had uh, in my mind, maybe Ryan, you have a few others, but is, um, manner of communication is, is often a, a stressor and a weird thing. So we really try to keep all the communication between guests on the platform that they're booking on, usually Airbnb. Um, and that makes it easier on a number of different levels because we have people that work for us that can respond on Airbnb. It's all written down. There's no misunderstandings or confusions or whatever. However, some guests really like to communicate through phone calls for whatever reason. And that is its own challenge because, you know, they, they might be calling at five o'clock to say, Hey, we're about to check in. And that's like kind of irrelevant information to us because it's a, it's a self check-in system. They might just demand to talk to somebody in person, even if they're not like angry about something, they might just want to discuss an issue. So we have to have someone to pick up the phone or call them, um, whatever else. Sometimes people 
use Airbnb through their email system. So they'll refer to you sending messages on Airbnb as an email, which is slightly confusing because again, you know, it's not exactly how we're communicating with them. Some people use Airbnb like a chat messaging service. They'll send a message that says like, hi, one message, like, how's it going? One message, like, we're about to come, one message, you know, that sort of stuff. So if you're on your phone, you'll get 15 notifications in five seconds because they've decided to send messages. I remember we had a person a couple of years ago that did that and it would just be like, I remember I was at a movie actually. This is how long ago it was because we actually go to movies. And I just, my phone like was exploding because someone just kept sending, like every word would be a new message on Airbnb. So <laughs> I can guarantee we didn't get a five-star review from that person. <laughs> One other like common issue we have, I don't know if this is necessarily, it, it, it's far from an emergency and it's something that people generally don't care about, but it is something that I think nags at both of us. And that's toilet paper holders and towel bars. Oh, they're yes. constantly falling off the walls because unfortunately, uh, when they're installed, not everyone installs them properly into studs or with drywall anchors. PSA, a toilet roll holder or the equivalent is not a pull-up bar. So don't like exert all your weight on these items in a bathroom in anyone's home. <laughs> Unless you have anything else, I have one last kind of humorous critique that we've gotten. There's one thing that I, I did think of, which is an, it's, it's a big annoyance, uh, which is getting locked out of a uh, building. Cool. Um, yeah. So generally all of our properties have electronic locks, uh, which is a great, great, great innovation because you don't have to worry about people losing keys or whatever. However, it is not uncommon. Well, it's uncommon, but it's not unheard of for electronic locks to fail, either because the person using the lock doesn't understand how to use them, which is happens every, every once in a while or just whatever the battery dies the mechanism breaks i mean we have dozens of these at this point so um we uh, don't buy the quick set ones only buy the schlag ones or anything but quick set this is a psa but um so you know what like we we haven't done a good job of this but typically those locks can be overridden with a manual key and i think the way to do it is to have a lockbox somewhere kind of hidden on the property where in an emergency you can say go to the lockbox open it up but we've had people that get locked out at all hours of the day. And then obviously they're angry because they're locked out. So someone needs to go there immediately. It's been very rarely it has happened, but it has happened to me in the past where someone gets locked out at like 2 a.m. And that's a huge issue because everybody's asleep. They can't get in their place, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, that, that's a big stressor. If somebody's locked out, I see a message at like 1 a.m. It's like, oh, it's going to be a big problem. So the last critique or complaint that comes to mind I think is something that I saw us receive twice within like a month. And I don't think we've gotten it before or since, but I actually found it quite funny. Somebody talked about their experience staying at one of our places in the review and said, you know, the place was great. It was conveniently located. Hosts were very communicative. We had a great time. The only downside was in New Jersey, there were a lot of tolls. <laughs> and that was not something that I had ever heard of as being like abnormal because I, I grew up in New Jersey. But we got the, I think we got the same feedback twice within a matter of like weeks <laughs> from two different guests. And it was like, it was a little bit of a wake up call for me, I guess. <laughs> it's like someone coming to out of state New Jersey, be like, New Jersey's great, but the taxes are so high here. Yeah. <laughs> the income tax, you have to pay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. I think that's it. I think that's all we've, uh, I mean, I'm sure we've gotten many other complaints. Yeah. Uh, we, another complaint we got recently was like a saggy floor, saggy floorboard. Saggy floor. Yeah. I mean, I, these are sort of things like general maintenance issues right. that you'd have in any place, but they just become more acute when you're operating a short-term rental. Right. Like, 
Although I, I think things like that are like sort of more excusable in a short-term rental than they are when you're there for a year. Because at some point, when you're, if you're there for a year, at some point they have to be replaced. If yeah. You can deal with it though for like two or three days. That, that is a good point. <laughs> there, there are different maintenance issues that it's like, you can just say, oh, we'll get right, right on that. And yeah, then like, oh, that just happened it. yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Ryan and I always love to chat uh, in any context about uh, short-term rentals, Atlantic City, real estate investing, New Jersey. If you'd like to contact us, my email address is john, J-O-H-N, at libertyhudson.com. And my email address is ryan at libertyhudson.com in case you have any additional complaints about our Airbnbs. (laughs) If you are listening to this podcast via a means where you can like or subscribe to us, we would really appreciate that. That helps us to know who's listening and know what topics to cover. But until next time, thank you guys so much for listening and we'll be back soon with another episode. Don't forget to visit us at BrickXBrickRealEstate.com for free content to help you along your real estate journey and to follow along on our projects. Subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast app and engage with us online via Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and BrickXBrickRealEstate.com. See you next time on the Brick by Brick Podcast.